0: journey is unique for everyone. It is time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one size fits all manual. Welcome to the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 21 of the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast. I'm Jen Cochran. I'm pleased to introduce my guest this week, May McCarmo. She's the founder, CEO of the Tiger Lily Foundation and a 13-year survivor of breast cancer. On February 28, 2006, at 4.45 p.m., Mema was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer. She had no family history and was 32 years old. While undergoing her second round of chemotherapy, she made a promise to God that if she survived, she would create an organization to educate, empower, advocate for, and support young women affected by breast cancer. After her second treatment, Tiger Lily Foundation was born. Tiger Lily is a national organization with hundreds of volunteers nationwide, providing breast health, wellness, and transformational programs to young women. MAMA is a speaker and media personality, regularly called upon to speak on Capitol Hill and other venues as a health, advocacy, and empowerment expert. In 2015, MEMA advocated with members of Congress to ensure that young women had access to breast screening. Tiger Lily Foundation flew young women to Washington, D.C. to meet with seventy-four members of Congress. The visit resulted in doubling the House and Senate support for the protecting access to life-saving screening, or PALS, legislation. The bill was signed into law within a month, protecting the lives and rights of millions of women. MAMA has worked with the Centers for Disease Control to launch several national campaigns and has served as an ambassador for National Women's Health Week, an initiative of the Office of Women's Health. She's an outspoken advocate and leader in the women's health field to create and implement national health initiatives for women and girls. In 2010, Mema published her memoir, Fearless Awakening to My Life's Purpose Through Breast Cancer. In 2018, she also published the Badass Girls Prayer Book. In 2013, she founded Bliss Magazine, a quarterly publication that inspires others to live their sole purpose. MAMA is also a life coach and hosts the Pure Bliss podcast and hosts the manifest conference to inspire people to live their best lives most dear to her heart is her 16 year old daughter noelle now an advocate in her own right hosting a national event called pajama glam party where she engages girls to become advocates and to have healthy lifestyles they also have a dog a little morky named honey you can find links to the resources mentioned on the CancerCliffNotes.com podcast website. And it is now my pleasure to introduce Mema Karma. Welcome, Mema. I'm really excited to have you here today to share your story and talk about the Tiger Lily Foundation and how that all came into being. So I would love for you to just jump in and share your breast cancer journey.
1: Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story, but more so hoping that it'll educate other young women and moms and physicians about the importance of educating a woman about breast health at an early age and talking about these important topics. My mother and I had a conversation when I was 13 years old, and she told me the importance of knowing my body and my breast health. I had my first breast exam because she taught me that at 13. I didn't think it was a big deal at the time. I didn't know what breasts were, barely. I didn't even barely had them. You know, we talked about why I should do them. And she said that it was important to do them early and start early because women's bodies change over time. And as their bodies change, if you know what your basic light is like and what your body feels like. If something abnormal pops up years later, you'll know. And I asked her, what, what was she talking about regarding abnormal? And she said, well, like things like lumps or just if your, your breasts look weird. And so she made it a very casual conversation and she taught me how to do the breast exam. And she kept reminding me for the first couple months. And after a while it became as a ritual as brushing my teeth, taking a shower, whatever. But I never really thought that I would ever have cancer. It just never occurred to me. My family is My mom's a nurse. We all eat healthy, exercise. There's no history of cancer in the family. So, for me, doing them at the time was more of like a just you know checkbox thing. And then 18 years later, while taking a shower, there was a lump in my breast when I was doing my exams. I will tell you that it shocked the heck out of me. I did not expect it. You know, people hear about breast cancer and the walks and runs and things like that, but you never really think it'll happen to you. For one, I also was so young. I was in my early 30s. I didn't think cancer looked like someone like me. You know, we would that before you would see ads of people who were much older and who looked a certain way. And I just didn't, I just was like floored. It was like telling me that the sky was, I don't know, the sky was like (laughs) jet black or something like that midday. It was weird. My whole life just kind of flipped in a matter of seconds. And my mother had also told me when we had that first conversation, she said, if you do your breast exams regularly and something happens, you'll know. And I heard her words going through my head. And so I went to see my OBGYN who referred me to a breast surgeon because she wanted to make doubly sure. And then I got a mammogram before I went. And the breast surgeon told me that, you know, a review of the scans that it was, I was too young to have breast cancer. It was only a cyst and it wasn't, wasn't a malignant tumor. Ordinarily, I mean, the average person, if they go to see a doctor and the doctor says you're fine and the scan says you're fine, we believe the doctor and the scan. One thing I knew my mother had taught me, and I know I, I learned over time that if I don't feel right, then I have to keep pushing for the answer until I'm 100% clear. I kept pushing for over six months till I got a biopsy, it turned out I had stage 2b, aggressive triple negative breast cancer. If I had taken my doctor's advice and waited, it would be a different story today. While in treatment, it really like I was just, my whole world was like upside down. I didn't know what to do. I mean, people talk about cancer and some people get through it and so many don't. But it's like the emotions that come into your body and your space and the things that you think and you feel and it's just a lot of emotion to manage. And when you're younger you don't have any concept what kind of choices to make. And one minute you're working your job, you're having fun and you know living your life. the next minute you're being asked to make decisions about things that could change your entire life. You're being asked, you know, to decide on surgery and treatment options and you're hearing words you can barely pronounce. It was thirteen years ago. Oh, wow. It'd be fourteen years it'll be Fourteen years, I think, next year. But anyway, long story short, during that process, I had a talk with God, and I just said, if I just, I want to make sure that other women don't go through this, other girls don't go through this. If I can give my life in service to others, I will. I'll do that, and that became my nonprofit, Tiger Lily Foundation. Yeah, it's been almost fourteen years now.
0: Wow, and the face of breast cancer, especially, has changed a lot over the last fourteen years. And I love that the Tiger Lily Foundation really focuses on education and educating young women and encouraging people to do what you were doing with the breast exams and advocating for themselves
1: I had to do that because no one really talked about that I and mean, my mom taught me my breast exams at a young age but my doctors never really talked about breast health when I went to get my clinical yearly mm-hmm. and when you look at media and you know advertisements and, and for sure, you see people who are older women you just never think it'll happen to you and statistically speaking women who are younger don't get breast cancer as often as women who are older so even in terms of you know screening and education education and advocacy, there was no conversation about that. My doctors knew how to treat my body, but not how to treat my emotions, my mind, my spirit. I was falling apart with making these choices and just having to navigate. So as I went through my crisis of how will I handle this, it occurred to me that I could do two things. I could sit there and let the cancer define me, or I could define how I would transform the experience for myself and other people and ensure that other women my age didn't have to go through what I went through and or knew about breast health and the importance of getting educated early, knew about the importance of doing their breast exams, knew the importance of talking with their doctors and ensuring they got the right diagnosis and knew to push for it for themselves. And so that's kind of where I began. It never really was a thing where I said, I want to make this huge difference. I thought if I could help one young woman, help one girl, you know, help one baby have his or her mother survive because she found out that she had breast cancer in time, then my, my life mission would be complete. But that's not what God had planned. The more that I began to step out in faith and ask God how to serve other people the more people that kept coming and I was still working a full-time job my daughter was three years old and I'm like god what, what is going on right now but there was a need for people to get the education and the woman began coming at some point I had to quit my full-time job to do this full-time and I mean I when you love what you do it sounds very like like some people say that but it's really like when you love what you do it's not work and even when it's hard it's not work because you're making a difference in the world and I, I love what I do every day
0: that's very true. And I think as cancer survivors, the more and more survivors I speak to seem to be following that purpose and passion, really seeking out what their purpose is and really embracing that and having their vocation be their passion and their purpose.
1: Well, the paradigm has shifted because before it was like, you know, when I watched movies as a child, it was like people would be in bed or someone would be like in the house and I have cancer. And the imaging was of, you know, you have cancer and you're, even if you live, you're, you know, like my God, like your whole life is like change and people would look depressed and like they were dying, even if they were not. And there was this idea of like, Cancer is a secret thing and victimization type mindset. And I think what I set out to do and what other people have done, other advocates, is that we made a decision that we won't let something that was meant to kill us, even if it didn't kill us, we would use that thing and turn it on its head and speak up and make a difference and make a change and change advocacy issues. You know, like change policy and change how people saw their lives before cancer, during and after. And I mean, one thing that I made a choice about early on was that I wouldn't let it be. I would make the challenge into a catalyst and not allow it to define my life in a sense where I became a victim of this thing. So I took the bull by the horns and thought I just want to love people and help them to be educated and empowered. And it became my life's work. It changed my life in many ways. It changed my idea of myself. I didn't know I could do certain things. I didn't know I could be an advocate and And work on the Hill and and create national educational campaigns or meet with members of Congress or be invited to the White House multiple times to talk about health advocacy and travel the world doing this work. I literally was working in an office at a desk job, and I thought this is what my life is. So it's really powerful when you open your heart and really ask God, you know, why am I here? What am I here to do? And then when challenges come your way, you know, like I always ask, how can I serve somebody through this, whatever I learn? During this journey, it can change people's lives. It changed mine.
0: And as a young woman, when you were diagnosed, because that wasn't what was commonly being seen, did you feel a loneliness in that as well?
1: I... Felt like I was in a black hole. I think one thing I tell people now that I didn't talk about before, because before it was like you're a survivor, wear pink, and you know you're going to do this. And people don't talk about that place between getting diagnosed and your identity of yourself shifting, and then the fear, the abject, like utter sheer terror, anxiety, and depression that comes with the fact that you could die of something, right? And so I was extremely depressed. I was sometimes I was wish I'm just I was like I just want to go to bed and not get up. I can't deal with the fact that I could go. this process and just die. Like, I mean, I may not have a choice in the matter. And so, one thing I really would like to bring to light now is that it's important to give women who are going through breast cancer, other cancers, other having a parent be ill or a child, whatever. We, we're going to fight and push forward and be empowered, but it's important to honor the woman's journey, honor people's journey when they're they're going through that process of like dealing with their mortality because it was very scary. And then I realized at some point, how do I manage my fear? Like, you know, and people ask me all the time, they're like, you're a badass. You're always doing all this stuff and you're, (laughs) you're always like soaring and pushing going forward. Are you ever afraid? And my answer is all the time. But it's what you use the fear for and how you wield it. Do you take the fear and make it into a love sword and help other people? Or do you let the fear... Consume you, and you know the fire of the fear. And so I always look at that fear as, as you know, like a sword. And am I going to use that sword to give hope and life, or am I going to let that sword be a block for me and, and destroy my life? I've used it as a way to help love other people and make a difference in the world.
0: I love that. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Tiger Lily Foundation. Enjoying the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast? Come on over to the Facebook group where you can join the community and participate in the conversation during the week. I hope to see you there. Now back to the show. Hi, we're back. I'm here with Mae McCarmo. We are going to jump in to talk about the Tiger Lily Foundation and the great work that they're doing. Can you talk a little bit about the mission of the Tiger Lily Foundation?
1: I would love to. So Our mission is to educate, advocate for, empower, and support young women before, during, and after breast cancer. The goal is really to help get young women educated early. Hopefully, to prevent loss of life and to get breast cancer early if it happens, and to also lower the risk of breast cancer through maybe a diet, nutrition, environmental, lifestyle changes that maybe could prohibit the, the growth of cancer or inhibit it. So, a lot of our work's around educating young girls and their providers, mothers, family members, and so forth about the risk, genetic, just all kinds of topics. And then we support women who are going through treatment as they're going through breast cancer treatment and beyond. That's fantastic. And the, as we, as it kind of grew, the goal was when I was in treatment, I get a, I ask for support. And they're like, well, go here for this and call this place for that. And you're a patient having to go through this whole chaotic thing and having to figure out where to go for help and go to you know 10 different websites. So I thought I want to build one integrated platform to have people come here, whether it's a mother, a daughter, a caregiver, a young girl, get what she needs to understand what breast cancer is, what it does, how to lower her risk, how to be your best advocate, how to speak to her providers, how to ask the right questions and how to navigate the entire journey. And then when I, again, back 10 years ago or more, there wasn't the, the idea, of survivorship. You were told, you know, you had breast cancer, then you got treated physically. There was no therapy or mental or psychosocial support. And then when you were done, they were told you were told, you know, congratulations, you know, go live your life. And you're happy to be alive, but it's like, what is my life? You know, we have programs for women who are surviving and thriving to help them to navigate the mind, body, spirit, the anxiety that still is there and the fear of recurrence and you know, and also we really love the caregivers. I think people forget that when somebody has cancer, even if the person, when they get better, the person is taking care of them. They're traumatized. One of my friends I just came from seeing this morning, my friend Beth had breast cancer and she passed away. And, you know, her husband is, he's still here with the two kids. People forget that the caregiver has real needs. If you love somebody and that's your soulmate and your partner or your daughter or whatever, or your, sister and they pass away of breast cancer there's that time of not just them being treated then there's a you knowing that like the exhaustion of all the treatments and their body's declining when they're stage four and the anxiety the caregiver experiences and the fear and the exhaustion of being of caring for that person and loving them and knowing that the end's going to be an end that they don't want and when that person's gone there's the grief of you know losing that person there's the kids need support In the case of my friend, Beth, she gave her body to science to be studied and her husband just got it back in a box, got her back in a box less than a month ago. And so those things are things that people don't talk about that are real things that for me are important. And so I love Beth. I still love her like many of my friends who passed away. And so I went to visit her husband and the kids this weekend or this week. I spent two days with them just to be with them and spend time with them because, you know, it may have been two years almost, but they're still grieving the loss of their mother and wife. And so that I'm saying that to say that our work is not just go to our website learn something or, you know, here's an email that's empowering people. We really want to love people through what they're going through and we really care for our patients and we really give a lot of thought to how they're living and how people that they love are living during and after that person's journey whether they survive breast cancer or not.
0: I think that's such a great point as well, because caregivers, you know, as patients, we have the outward signs, you know, we're going through chemo, we lose our hair, we're wearing wigs or hats or whatever the case may be. There's some like outward sign and, or we're not feeling well or whatever the case may be, but the caregivers are taking on all the things and they're still showing up and doing the things that they need to do. And then they're coming home and they're taking care of kids and they're maybe fixing dinner where they didn't have to do that before. Or there's so many things, yet we forget that because they're healthy, they still need extra support. So I think that's such a very important topic that needs to keep bubbling up to the surface. Your point as well about survivorship, my journey was much more recent than yours. And still I found that transition is jarring. You get diagnosed, you get put into the medical conveyor belt. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, you know, a million appointments. Everybody's descending on you And then you finish treatment and people are like, oh, you're done with treatment. Good. You're good. I heard someone say last night, a lady approached her and said, oh, you're, you finished your treatment. I can take you off my prayer list. And she was like, what? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Right. Because we think, oh, people think the treatment phase is over. So now you're good. You made it. Which is true, you did make it, but now there's a whole new, like, the tagline for this show, surviving is just the beginning. And now those people that descended are, you know, getting back to their daily normal. And now we've got to figure out what that new normal is. And you see your doc in three months. Still things happening.
1: There's always things happening. There's neuropathy, there's chemo brain, there's lymphedema, there's side effects from radiation, there's cardiotoxicity, like there's so many things that go on and then for those of us who work in the breast cancer field who are advocates, people are calling every day or emailing who are in dire, and they're depressed, you're scared, they're just diagnosed, they're metastatic. And so there's that never ending, you're serving people, but you're like, oh my God, you're in that world. And it's funny, I went to a conference that I spoke at last weekend, and I spoke to a room full of women physicians who are in the cancer space. And we, there's a lot of clinical talk before I spoke, but I talked about the importance of listening, the power of listening. Yes. Listening, not just to your patients, but to yourself. When you're a caregiver, even as a professional caregiver, or a doctor, or an advocate, and that's your job, and maybe may be your passion. Like we have to care for ourselves. And as a patient, you know, like the way that my breast cancer friends understand what I'm going through is not how people who don't haven't gotten it understand it. So when I have a scan or eat, sometimes I just get this like just shock of fear when somebody passes away or grief, like I can tell my friends, but if I call one of my breast cancer sisters, they totally get it in different ways than my other friends get it. So it's really important to have that community of people that you can talk to about anything. And so it's interesting, like I have friends who are caregiver friends. I have friends who who are like me, years out, friends who are doctors. But the listening is so important because that journey of, you know, whenever this happens, it never really ends, even if you're cancer-free. The vigilance, having to to keep checking and make sure you're ahead of things with your scans and your diet, nutrition. And a lot of my money is spent on how I eat, like eating really, really clean. And, of course, holistic-type things. you know, lower my risk or prevent it because I was triple negative. That money and time, and also like I have, I have a daughter who's now sixteen, and she was three when I was diagnosed. But you know, recently within the past year or two, she finally like asked me one day like she's like, "Mommy, you told me that you would you wouldn't get breast cancer again, but I've been looking on the internet, and that's not maybe yeah, I read that people can get a recurrence. And what does that mean for you?" And I'm like, "Jeez, like those kind of conversations are things that you have to constantly have with your children and people you love to educate them, empower them, and and most of all like it's important to just like, for me, like love is a central part of who I am. And so having these loving conversations and perspectives and attitudes can help anybody get through, you know, and that's the core of what we do at Tiger Lily. Loving loving people before breast cancer. You mentioned New Normal. We have a, a program called the New Normal Journal, where we send patients journals to help them navigate breast cancer treatment and survivorship. We have a metastatic breast cancer program. We do send out text alerts. We have a program where we give survivors a place to share stories via social media and to educate people about what the Feel like and how they just what their lives look like. This year we really we launched a new initiative called our Metastatic Breast Cancer Disparities Initiative, where we're working with people of color in underserved areas to educate them about the importance of knowing their risks, engaging with providers, getting involved in clinical trials, and helping to lower the death rates of people of color, which is really you know actually higher than women who are not of color. And so we really look at disparities of age, disparities of breast cancer staging, disparities of race, and look at ways to make it different through our programs.
0: And the underserved populations. I know in D.C. there's been a huge uptick in breast cancer specifically because of the late diagnosis.
1: Right. So there are like 11 cities that have a high rate of people of color getting diagnosed with breast cancer in D.C. is on that list. So one of the things we're doing is we we had a listening summit in March and brought people of color to in D.C. to D.C. and had a, a listening summit where we were asking them, like, what is what are the challenges you're facing around education, health literacy, distrust of physicians? People of color have been exposed experimented on and there's all you know racial issues that bring about fear and mistrust in the healthcare system and so versus us putting our content and saying here's what we think is going to help you let us know what it is that the barriers are and we'll try to bridge those gap based on your input and we got a lot of really good feedback based on some of the feedback we got we're actually hosting the first young woman's metastatic breast cancer listening summit at san antonio which is the largest global breast cancer gathering in the world annually and we're bringing people of color to the summit who are from the 11 cities that are underserved so it's really a conversation that has to be had on constantly to gather information and meet them where they are. Like we really enjoy our work because we're patient forward and patient first. And we want our patients to lead by them telling us what their needs are versus us saying to them, here's what we think that you need to get. That's not how it works, right? Um, right. The patient's voice is what matters. And so we're really like keep our ears close to the ground. We're very grassroots. We're always asking questions so we get better at doing what we do.
0: I think it was a great point that you made as well. The conference that you were speaking at where you were speaking with doctors, because I think the burnout rate in the medical profession right now is about 80%. So when we as patients are going in and we're talking to a provider who's already at the end of their ability, they're suffering from compassion fatigue and high levels of burnout. Getting heard is very difficult. And when you're in an area where it's already hard to have access to healthcare, being heard is even more difficult. So it's amazing work that you're doing.
1: Well, you know, I learned at the conference that somebody gave a statistic and I think, I hope I'm not wrong, but it says something like there are over 400 positions suicides a year. Yes. And if that number is right, then there's that means more than one per day. And that's really frightening because our world is changing. People are mad at doctors because they, they have a certain amount of time. They can see you for like 15, 20 minutes. They're being rushed. There's insurance issues. Some people who want to care for patients are kind of penalized sometimes as a provider for giving patients more time because they don't get coverage for that extra time or the attention. There's so many things we have to fix with our, with our healthcare system. and But we forget doctors don't go into this to hurt. They go into this to heal and to, to help. So they need help too. And so it's really like, we're really about bridging gaps across the spectrum and really building a space for conversation that can help young women, help family members, help doctors help us because they too are people that spend eight to 12 Years getting educated to to serve people so and so it's important to have those conversations and you know I mentioned people of color who are facing disparities sometimes there's so many access to care issues, there's health literacy issues, there's the mistrust, and so one of our other programs is called Have the Chat, where we interview people of different walks of life in the breast cancer space and talking about these things like what is it about providers that we need to be better at in terms of conversation? And if, and if you're a woman going through stage four breast cancer, what do you want people to know about how you feel? Another woman had breast cancer three times and she was a single mom and her daughter had been her, care t- her caregiver, I think from the ages of like 12 until 18. Those are things that I want to bring to light because those people all have a voice. And so, again, it's really about listening, learning, loving and serving people. And it has to be a continuous and, you know, conversation. And then we improve upon our work and then make a difference in the world and and, and hopefully save lives.
0: And I think it's so important. There is more and more research happening around trauma and unidentified trauma that's happening in the cancer space, whether it's caregivers. And you touched on it when we have friends or people in our communities who pass away. and. Caregivers have responses to that and patients have responses to that. And people that have been cancer, you know, quote unquote, cancer free we react to that and that's challenging. And I've met a number of people who have had trauma diagnoses coming out of the other side, whether they were a caregiver that was way overtaxed because they couldn't get access to the support services that they needed or a patient who now has the delayed trauma, the fear of recurrence is actually being studied in the context of delayed trauma and the effects that that has on us physically, emotionally. So all of the work that you're doing is just so important and really starting to bubble up and become more understood. The more we can talk and shed light and bring the awareness and the advocacy. And I think teaching people how to advocate for themselves is so huge because doctors have that 15 minutes.
1: They have a lot on their plates. you know, They do. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned trauma because that's something that I, you know, there's a trauma that we don't talk about, multiple traumas, right? The trauma of facing your mortality, your body, trauma of the emotions that are buried in your body that you don't even know are there, trauma of your friends maybe dying, the trauma of the providers losing patients constantly. So there's multiple, and the trauma with the caregiver, watching somebody they love die. And so, and the children. So one of the things, in, you know, even for me, being in this field, I'm so passionate. Like it's not even normal. I just, I feel like this is what I was born to do. And But there's that grief, you don't know it's there. And the trauma of like, trying to race towards finding this, you know, solution to save more lives and reaching people sooner and earlier and faster. And, you know, sometimes you get to a point where you're even, you get burned out, you get your body just says, okay, you need to pause and take care of yourself too. And so if I tell many advocates that it's really important, and everybody I can can touch that, it's important to hear yourself as well, to hear, listen to your emotions, to ask yourself the questions that you may not want to ask. Like we all have trauma, we all have things that we're afraid of. We all have desire to push through life, but then there's things that we think we don't have time for to just stop and say what is my body saying to me what are my emotions saying to me I've learned like this past year I just hit a wall from caregiving for people for so long and my body was like okay you know all this grief that I didn't know was there came out and all this fear came out and all this stuff that I didn't know was there it overwhelmed me because it had been coming for a long time (laughs) but we're trained to be like in our world right now everybody's hustling everybody's a badass everybody's this hardcore like whatever over positivity but that can lead to people not not really thinking to even look at their feelings. And I think it's really important because the word disease isn't just a thing that is like, an, like a tumor or a, you know a cell that goes wrong. Disease is like, even when you don't give yourself the time to feel your emotions and your body's in a state of dis-ease, that is also a disease, right? And yes. so the, the, the emotional trauma that we're going to go through, uh, is important to hear that, to feel it, to talk about it and to share because everyone thinks that they're alone. Like when I spoke last week, people were crying after I talked. They're coming to me, these doctors and saying, oh, my God, I need to hear that. But they would never have come out and said it themselves. And so we have to be vulnerable and unafraid, or even if we're afraid to say things, speak our truth, because people are dying literally to hear us say our truth and to feel like they connect, that, that somebody else can feel them and hear them and see them.
0: We definitely have a challenge in this country, specifically, I think, of going it alone, Like being strong and being independent and not needing to ask for help and not being able to say, I don't know, or I don't have the answer or like taking that break. So I think that is, that is a huge topic that we could probably spend a whole nother episode on. We could. I know we could. Thanks for the conversation. I want to thank you for being here today and for sharing all the amazing work that you're doing. It's so important. I honor you for the work you're doing.
1: Thanks for having me and thanks for what you're doing. And I think that your platform of, you know, these conversations are so important. So I applaud you for having them. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Thank you, Mama. We talked about so many great topics today. The great work the Tiger Lily Foundation is doing, survivorship, the importance of caring for our caregivers. If you're listening to this live, it's October, the first week of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I think Mama and I agree. We want every month to be Health Awareness Month, where all those health screenings and annual checkups are all getting prioritized and checked off the to-do list as priority items and not as someday I'll get around to those types of items. Early on in our chat, Mema brought up the idea of what is my life? And that is what I would like to leave you with for today's personal consciousness minute. If you're faced with a health crisis or watching a close friend or family member dealing with something that puts the length of their life in question, you too may find yourself asking, what is my life? For many people I've met on this journey, that may look like I'm more important now. It may mean deeper personal relationships or the ending of some relationships. Just as we're all unique humans, the areas that come up for you today may be completely different from anyone you know, and they may change over time. Our priorities are always a moving target. My challenge for you today is to sit with this question, what is my life? Set a timer for 10 minutes and see what comes up. How do you feel about it? And what can you make upgrades to today to make it even better. Then come on over to the Cancer Cliff Notes private Facebook group and share some or all of what you came up with in the group. Thanks for listening and have a great week.